0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the call in the first part of our text this morning is a call that I suspect is difficult for every single one of us. I know it's difficult for me, but what is this call? What is the duty that our text presents to us? We find it in Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do all things. and obviously, all things here means good things, not sinful things. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the call to work out our own salvation uh, with fear and trembling. We saw that in verses 12 and 13 and Now here in verse 14, we get specific. It's no longer just general, it's specific. This, This is what, in very concrete, practical terms, what working out our own salvation means. It means to live our lives and to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Or to put it another way, as some translations put it, to do everything without complaining and arguing, without grumbling and quarreling. It means really to live in submission, in cheerful submission to God and and to live at peace with each other. It's a challenging call, isn't it? It's something we don't tend to do very well at. How quickly we tend to murmur. How quickly we tend to, to, to dispute, to quarrel, to argue, to complain. If I asked, if I asked, let me put it this way. If I asked everyone here this, uh, that's here this morning to raise your hand if you never once complained or argued. If you never once murmured, not just in your mouth, but but in your mind. If you never once grumbled or quarrels? How many of us could raise our hands? Honestly. Complaining and arguing, murmuring and disputing seems to be ingrained, as it were, into our very beings. We murmur and we argue about so many things. Haven't you ever complained and argued, uh, children, about young people, about your responsibilities and your chores at home or your homework that you get from school? Haven't we ever murmured in our minds or, or with our mouth because others have something we don't? Maybe it's a, it's a, a, a specific thing, material thing that they have or, or it could be a gift that they have and, and we don't have that and we murmur, at least in our minds, Haven't we ever grumbled and griped about people in our family, or in our workplace, or even about fellow church members? Haven't you ever grumbled and complained about something difficult in your life like the Israelites did so often in the wilderness? Haven't you ever argued and quarreled with others, even with fellow Christians, just like the Lord's disciples did when he was on the earth? They argued, not just once, but but repeatedly. Who of them, which of them would be the greatest? How quickly and how often we can murmur and argue. That's our tendency. And that reality reality can make it tempting for us to hear this call in Philippians chapter 2. To hear this call to not just do some things, but all things. Without murmurings and disputings, without complaining or arguing. And in our minds to think, yeah, right. Are you kidding? Some things maybe, but all things? This is impossible. In one sense, it is impossible. In ourselves, living the way that we're called to live as Christians is absolutely impossible. That's why we need to remember. I'm not going to to really focus on it, but I, I want to say it right up front. We need to remember what verse 13 says, for it is God. If we are Christians, when we are Christians, God is the one working in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. The power to do this comes from Him. Let's remember that. It's an important encouragement, an important motivation to do all things without complaining and arguing. But, that still doesn't make it automatically easy, does it? It's still difficult. And because of that, because it's so difficult to do, we can be tempted to, to dismiss it. And we can rationalize, we can give all kinds of reasons. Well, you know, I've I got it really bad, I've got a really hard trial. Or, yeah, I, I, can, I can complain about many things. We can rationalize it. And we can think, well, this command doesn't matter all that much. But it does. It does. It's a difficult thing for us to do, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. And our text, Philippians 2, verses 14 to 18, makes that very clear. It not only calls us to do all things without murmurings and disputings, it also tells us why it matters. That's what we hope to see with God's help this morning. in our, so our theme is doing all things without murmurings and disputings. First of all, we'll see it, that it demonstrates godliness. Secondly, that it brightens our witness. And thirdly, that it honors Christ. Why does doing all this, all things without murmurings and disputings, without complaining and arguing, really matter? Why is it in the Bible? Well, one reason One reason we can say from our text is that it demonstrates godliness. What does our text say? Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that so that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Notice those words, blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. What what do those terms describe? What do they emphasize? They emphasize character, don't they? they? They emphasize, they're describing the godliness. And Paul is assuming, as he's writing to the Philippian Christians, he's, he's assuming that his as Christian readers, as children of God already, they want that godliness. They want that godliness. And, and, and so he's saying, do this, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That, that's how you demonstrate Godliness. That's how you become blameless and harmless. What does that mean? It does not mean that you become sinless or or, or perfect in that sense, without sin. The, The Bible clearly teaches us that no one is perfect in this life in the sense of being sinless. 1 John 1 verse 8. If. We say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So being blameless and harmless is not the same thing as being completely sinless, free of sin. No, it means that you are not consciously living in some sin. It means that you're not practicing evil. You're not living a double life, either in your outward actions or or in your own, own mind and heart. You're sincere. You're not living as a hypocrite. You're living as a Christian. You're not pretending. It means that your life is above, it's beyond reproach. It means that even if someone were to accuse you of doing something wrong, that accusation could not stand. That's what being blameless and harmless means. Think of someone like Job. Job. God himself, you know, describes Job. As a perfect man in the sense of being blameless. His friends, you know, he, he, he had all that suffering that happened to him. Remember, children, how that, how that went? In one day, he, he lost pretty much everything. And his friends came and for a while, they just sat with him for some days. But then they began to talk and, and they began to accuse him. This is why you're suffering. Job, you've been living in some sin. That's why you're suffering, but but it wasn't true. Every accusation they made was false. It couldn't stand. Job was blameless and harmless. Or think of someone like Daniel. Children, how did Daniel end up getting thrown into the lion's den? What did he do? How did he end up there? Was he he not doing a good job uh, for King Darius as the, the top governor? Was he using that position somehow to, to, to take advantage of it for himself, to, to get gain for himself? Was he stealing some money maybe from Darius? No, he wasn't. He was doing his work faithfully. He was not living in some sin. In that sense, he was blameless. Daniel 6, verse 4 tells us that the men who wanted to get rid of him could find no fault in him. He was faithful. Neither, and it repeats itself, neither was there any error or fault in him. They could not accuse him of of anything. So you know how he ended up in the lion's den, right? They made up a, a new law. Anyone who prayed to anyone besides Darius for 30 days will get thrown into the den of lions. That's how he got thrown there. It was not because he did something that truly deserved it. No, Daniel was blameless and harmless. Could that be said about you? could it be said about me. It should be. When we are Christians, we are called to be like Job. We are called to be like Daniel. The Bible sets these people before us as examples, and you can think of others. There's Zacharias and Elizabeth in the New Testament, the parents of John the Baptist. They're described as being blameless. And that's an example. These people are examples for us to follow. And I know this... I prayed in, in my prayer that there are things that we would rather hear and we rather, things that we'd rather not hear. And, and I think this is one of them. I think that we would love to hear about God's forgiveness and His grace and His love and His mercy. We all love to hear about that. But when it comes down to specific calls to live a certain way, we get uncomfortable. And so I, I just want to, to, to repeat again the, the, my, my prayer that, Lord, that He would... That the Lord would open our hearts to be willing to hear these things. When we are Christians, we should want to be blameless and harmless. That should be among our top goals in life to be blameless, to be godly, to be holy, to be pure, to flee from sin, to hate sin. In a sense, this is the real test of our Christianity, isn't it? Do you want to be blameless and harmless? If that's not your great desire, then don't you need to ask yourself whether you're really a Christian. When you're a Christian, you should want to be blameless and harmless, not not for your own glory, not to make yourself look good, but for, for God's glory, for the gospel's sake, for Christ's sake. Oh, that I, that we, might be blameless and harmless. Paul prays for that, you know. In 1, Thessal- 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13, he prays. He prays that the Lord would establish the hearts of the Thessalonian Christians unblameable. The same word is blameless in our text. Unblameable in holiness before God. That's what we're called to pray for. Do you? Do you? But it's not something we should just pray for. It's something we should strive for. And our text tells us how to strive for that. How to become blameless and harmless. How to be like Job. How to be like Daniel. How to be like Zacharias and Elizabeth. What we really need to do is to start doing all things without murmurings and disputings. Without complaining and arguing. We need to do all things. We need to live our lives in cheerful, willing submission to God. And in humble, cheerful, willing service to Him and to each other. That is the way, at least part of the way, we become blameless and harmless. But the text says more, doing this, doing this will also result in being the sons or children of God without rebuke. You know, in a certain sense, that's really another way of saying blameless and harmless. but, But it's not saying that doing all things without complaining and arguing will result in being born again or in being adopted as children of God. That's not what it's saying. No, being being born again, being regenerated is something that God alone does in us by his Holy Spirit. That's his first work of grace in us. And it happens only once in the initial sense. And, and being adopted as His children is also something that God does once and for all in His free and sovereign love. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become the children of God. It's not something we do. And so our text is not talking about being born again or being adopted as God's children. We need to be clear about that. When you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are now already a child of God. That's an amazing thing. A child of God. He's adopted me. But what is our text talking about then? It's talking about character. It's talking about godliness and obedience. It's talking about purity. And that that phrase without rebuke makes that clear. The text is saying that by doing all things without murmuring and disputing, you become godly. You obey God as his child and you reflect his character. You show who your father is. And again, when we are Christians, that's what we will want. Right? That's what we'll be striving for. First John 3 says that not only are we, not only that we are children of God, but also that when we are his children, we we have the hope, the expectation, the certainty that one day when Christ appears, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then it says this: whoever has this hope in him purifies himself just as Christ. Is pure. So when we are Christians, when the gospel has entered our hearts and begun to work and to, and, to, and to transform us by the grace of God, that is what we want. We want to be children of God without rebuke. We don't want to be. We don't want to be like the Israelites in Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. Where they are described as people who have corrupted themselves, whose spot is not the spot of God's children. They are corrupted. They are blemished. They have the spot, and, and th- we don't want to be like that. That's a sign, really. of It's really a sign of being not children of God, but being being part of the perverse and crooked generation, as the Israelites are called in that verse. When we are Christians, we will strive to be like Christ, like the Son of God in His purity and in holiness holiness because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And the way we become like Him is to do as our text says, to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to be like Christ? Then do all things. Conduct yourself in obedience to God like Christ did, without complaining, without grumbling, and without arguing or quarreling. Let it be your delight, as it was for Christ, who said, I delight to do your will, O God. When you do that, you become children of God without rebuke. That's what you want or not. Doing all things without murmurings and disputings demonstrates godliness. But that's not all it does. By demonstrating godliness, it also, secondly, brightens our witness. Look at our text again. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation or generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life how does our text describe christians congregation It describes them as people, not as people who've isolated themselves from the world, not as people who've withdrawn themselves from the world, but as people who are living in the midst of the world and who are shining. They are shining as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life in in the midst of a people, among people who are crooked and perverse, people who are living in rebellion and in disobedience against God. That's what Christians are. That's how he describes, describes them. Through the ministry of the Word, we are shining lights. Through our holding fast and our holding forth the Word of life, we proclaim, we bear witness to the Gospel. As Christians, as a Christian church, we already are a shining light. But when we do everything without complaining and without arguing, without murmuring and disputing, we shine even brighter. We brighten our gospel witness you say how so well for one thing we show the world we show others the character of god the text says that we become blameless and harmless the sons of god without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation so as we live in the midst of the world When we do all things without murmurings and disputings, we not only demonstrate godliness, but by, by being godly, we show the unbelievers, we show the unconverted around us, those who are crooked and perverse. We show them what God is like. We put God on display, as it were. We reflect God's character to them. And we show them, we could maybe mention several things, but I want to just mention two things about His character that we show to the world. In the first place, we show them that God is holy, that He is righteous. When we do all things without complaining and arguing, we become blameless and harmless. We become godly. We become holy. We become pure. We become like Christ. We don't live in sin. We hate sin, and we flee from sin, and that shows the world what God is like because the world knows that we worship God and that we call ourselves christians and that we claim to be children of god and so it shows them that god himself is holy that he is pure that he is righteous that he yes that he himself hates sin that he is without iniquity and without sin he is just and right and as the unbelieving, sinful world and the unconverted around us, not just outside, but also in our own families even, as, as they see that, are living that out, then they, they see that God is not pleased with them. It tells them that, that they desperately need His grace, that they desperately need His salvation, that they desperately need the gospel, and they desperately need a Savior. They might not come to church. They might not read the Bible. They might not hear the regular preaching of the Word, but they see us. They see us. And they hear us. When we do all things without murmurings and disputings, without grumbling and quarreling, we are showing them God is holy. But we are also showing them that God is good. You think about it. When we complain, when we murmur about our circumstances or about our work, when we do what God calls us to do, but we do it reluctantly, dragging our feet, as it were, arguing about how it's not fair, what does that tell the world? What does that tell our co-workers and our neighbors and our family members about God? The God we call our Father. Doesn't it tell them He's not that great? He's not that good. You think about it this way, boys and girls. If you have a friend that comes over and your friend starts talking to you about their parents and, and they start complaining and they start saying, well, they're so strict. My parents, they're so strict and, and they're always making me work and, and they're just so unfair. They don't treat me right. What does that make you think about those parents? It doesn't make you think very highly of them, do you? Unless, of course, you know better than your friend and you know you're, he's... he's He's out to lunch. But did you see it's the same when Christians go out, go about complaining and arguing, whether with God or, or with each other, it doesn't make the world think highly of God. But when your friend children obeys or, or yeah, when your friend comes and speaks highly of their parents, and when he obeys their, his parents cheerfully and, and and does things without complaining or arguing, what does that make you think? About the, those parents. They must be good parents. You see, when we do all things cheerfully, when we obey God without grumbling and arguing, when we trust God, even in the midst of trials, when instead of murmuring and disputing, we are thankful to Him in prosperity and patient in adversity, we are telling the world, we are showing the unconverted and the unbelievers around us and among us that God is good always. He's the best Father there is. He is the perfect Father. Don't you want to know Him too? That strengthens, you see, that brightens our witness as Christians. So, how are we doing in that? Where are you? Where am I in this? You know, every Lord's Day we sing God's praises in church, and that's good. But to our lives, does the way we live also in relation to, to each other? Does it match the words that we sing? What does your life show? The unconverted and the unbelieving about God. When we do all things as Christians without murmurings and disputings, we show the world the holiness and goodness of God, but we also show the world the power of the gospel. Our text describes Christians as those who hold forth the word of life. We preach it. We preach that this word, that the Bible, is the word of life. That's what we preach. That's what we proclaim. But when we are doing all things without complaining and arguing, you know what's happening? We we, we are not just preaching that the gospel is the word of life. We are proving it. We are proving it. You see, by nature, we don't do this. By nature, we complain. By nature, we argue and we grumble and quarrel. We're we're not any better by nature than the Israelites in the wilderness when they grumbled and murmured against the Lord. In Exodus 16, you read about this. They they murmured against Moses and Aaron, and they said, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were murmuring against Moses and Aaron. And as you read the chapter, you learn the Lord says, too, that they were murmuring against him. And then the very next chapter, they are murmuring again. God provides them, He provides for them, He gives them manna. But the very next chapter, they're murmuring again because they have no water to drink. I mean, these are real problems, of course. But what are they doing? They're, They're murmuring, they're complaining, they're not praying. Later on, with the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they are murmuring again. It's what we do by nature. Complaining and arguing is a mark of our depravity, of our sinfulness and corruption by nature. We cannot get away from it left to ourselves. But you see, that means that when by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit we begin to do all things without murmurings and disputings, and we, and we do that more and more, and we increase in doing that, that shows and that proves the power of the gospel that we are holding forth. That shows that the gospel really does change people. It really does. And Christians turn from their natural self-focused and self-seeking, grumbling and quarreling when they live no longer for themselves, but for him instead who died for them and rose again. Who chose the world, it shows the unbelieving among us and among whom we live. That the gospel really is powerful. It really is. That when you believe the gospel, then you are in Christ a new creation. And who knows? Who knows how the Lord might use that? how he might use our cheerful obedience, our cheerful submission and love to God and to each other to draw more sinners to himself and give them new life. That's why doing all things without murmurings and disputings is so important, congregation. That's why it matters, because it proves the power of the gospel. So again, isn't it worth asking the question, what does my life prove? Do our lives prove the power of the gospel? How brightly are you? How brightly am I shining in this world? And doing all things without murmurings and disputings, without complaining or arguing, without grumbling or quarreling, demonstrates godliness and brightens our witness. But it also, lastly, honors Christ. And this comes out starting in the last, last part of, the second part of verse 16, rather. Paul calls the Christians to do all things without murmurings and disputings, that, middle of verse 16, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now, at first, you read this, you might read this, and you think, well, Paul's kind of being himself a little self-centered here, isn't he? I mean, it sounds a little like he's concerned all about himself, that I may rejoice, that I have not run or labored in vain, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, and so on. But when you think about a congregation and when you see it in the context of, of this whole letter, what Paul is really saying and pointing out here is that doing all things without murmurings and disputings honors Christ. Why? Because it fulfills Christ's purpose for his people. Remember how Paul identified himself at the beginning of this letter. You can look back if you like. He identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul is not his own master. He belongs to Christ to do his will. He serves Christ. That's who he's running for. That's who he's laboring for. That's who he's toiling for. And so when Paul tells the Philippians to do everything without complaining and arguing so that he can rejoice or literally boast in the day of Christ that he hasn't run or labored in vain, He's not just appealing to their love and affection for Him, but He's saying, this is what Christ, this is what my King, this is what my Master wants for you. That's what He wants. This is His purpose for you, that you do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you be like like Him. Yes, like Him. When He came and He lived in this world, There was no murmuring. There was no disputing. And he wants us to be like him. He wants us to have his mindset. Paul is saying, this is why he's called me into the ministry, that you might be conformed to his image. Doing all things without grumbling and quarreling fulfills Christ's purpose for his people. Isn't it good to think about that, congregation? Whose purpose are we living for? You know, we can so easily tend to be focused on on fulfilling our purposes, our desires, our wants. But shouldn't we be more like Paul? Shouldn't shouldn't we be more focused on what Christ's purpose is is for us? Shouldn't we be able to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. I want to do His will. I want to fulfill His purpose. What is the reason that Christ has given us His Word? What is the reason that He has given us ministers and elders and deacons? What is the reason that He gives us the communion of saints, a church to be a part of and to belong to? It's not only that we would be brought into His kingdom, it's that we would live as citizens of His kingdom, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's that we would be no more conformed to this world, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would become more and more like him. And this is being like him. It honors Christ, it fulfills his purpose for his people. But not only that, it's really an act of worship. Doing all things without murmurings and disputings is really an act of worship to Christ. Paul says in verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. What is the sacrifice and service of the Philippians faith? It's it's their faith in Christ in action. It's their Christian life. We read a similar command in Ephesians five. In the very beginning, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Of course, Christ's sacrifice is unique. It pays for sin. Ours doesn't. But our sacrifice, we are to resent our bodies as living sacrifices. And so this sacrifice, this service is an act of worship and it's the Christian life that that is, that sacrifice is, that service is. The life that he's just summarized as doing all things without grumbling and quarreling. That is an act of worship to Christ. It honors Christ. And Paul says, because Paul is so wrapped up with Christ, listen, if you're doing all, if you're doing all things without murmurings and disputings, and even if I have to die for Christ's sake, if I be offered upon that sacrifice, upon the sacrifice of your faith in action, of your Christian life and obedience, it's worth everything that I joy and I rejoice with you all. And for the same cause, dear beloved, do you joy and rejoice with me? Because, you see, this is my calling, Paul is saying. This is why God has called me that I might be a tool in his hand to bring people to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why I've been called into the ministry. What does he say in Philippians 1? Philippians 1. What is his great desire in verse 20? That with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall Be magnified. Doing all things without complaining and arguing, without murmurings and disputings, honors Christ. It's an act of worship to Him. That's why it matters. Are you honoring Christ? Are you honoring Christ? Have you bowed the knee in submission to Him? That's where it starts, congregation. That's where it starts. You need to start with bowing. If you have never done that before, you need to start with bowing your knee in submission to Christ. Coming to him in faith, humbling yourself, confessing you have nothing and you deserve nothing and you are a sinner who deserves to die forever in hell. You come to him and you confess it. You say, Lord, save me. He will because, because he came and he did all things without murmurings and disputings. And that's why there's forgiveness. Also for this sin. Also for this failure that we, that we so often have in our own lives. For all the times that we've complained and for all the times that we are, have argued, there is grace, there is forgiveness with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you've been forgiven, you see... You can't do anything but honor Christ. And so when you hear this command do all things without murmurings and disputings, you don't dismiss it. It's too hard. You say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Help me. Give me the Holy Spirit that I may be filled with Him and walk according to him, then look to him. You see, you trust in him, in Christ, who died on the the death of the cross, even for the chief of sinners. And you turn from your sin. And by his grace and strength, you begin to do all things without murmurings or disputings, because it demonstrates godliness, it brightens our witness, and it honors Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we are convicted by this word that we would do all things without complaining and arguing, without murmurings and disputings. If we know ourselves at all, Lord, we know We are so prone to this very thing. Lord, as we've been convicted, we pray that we would not ignore that conviction. That we would be humbled and brought to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for the first time or again. And that by the Holy Spirit, by His power working in us, Lord, that we would do this. We know, Lord, that there are times, especially in our lives, when it's exceptionally hard when there are trials when there is pain when there are challenges and it's we know it's we can pour out our hearts to to Thee O Lord and, and we can bring it all to You help us to not live in a way that brings dishonor on the Lord and doesn't reflect the character of our Father You alone are good O God and You do good so incline our hearts to keep this word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let us sing in response Psalter 251. 251, the antidote really to complaining and arguing is to give thanks.